Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we talk with actors, artists, and creators about their work, career, and current obsession. I'm your host, Patrick Holland, and today's guest is actor Chris Schalk, who plays the role of Paul Drake on the HBO series Perry Mason. We discuss what it's like playing a 1930s cop, as well as Chris's work on the Ava DuVernay series When They See Us, and his role of Lucius Fox on the show Gotham. We also talk about Chris's film Farewell, which he wrote, directed, produced, and stars in alongside his wife, Katie Chalk. I should note that this interview was recorded in August. Wow, Chris Truck, I am so excited to talk with you. And there's a lot of things to talk about. Perry Mason, your film Farewell. Uh, but I want to start with the ubiquitous quarantine question. How are you and your family holding up with everything that's going on during the pandemic? Gosh, we've gone through so much. I got a couple of, I got sick a couple of times. My wife got sick, non-COVID related, but still very scary inside of COVID-19 to have to go get a blood test. I was like, oh, this is, this is, maybe this is the scariest thing I've ever done in my entire life is to <laughs> like not know what's attacking us. But the main thing we've been doing besides healing is slowing down, honestly, and reassessing how much effort it takes to be successful in what we do. Doing our short films, we're creating these two short films and trying our best to uh, be the best couple possible on the other end of this. So that's mostly what we keep finding ourselves doing. What we intend to do is save the world, but <laughs> things keep going, hey, you need to slow down, buddy. You need to slow down, sit down and take a breath. So it's been weirdly a great time to reconnect with relaxing. What is the reward of slowing down and how do you think that's going to affect some of the stuff you do coming out of the pandemic? Honestly, I think that what I'm learning is the amount of effort I've been uh, putting out is is not equivalent to about the amount of result. I just like I'm grinding. I'm gr like we all do, you know, you grind. I grind these wheels. I grind these wheels. And I look back and go, man, my wheels are worn down. I can get the same distance just by going slightly slower. So I don't think it's going to have a huge impact. It's just going to make things a lot more clear. And I, I live very intentionally, but this is just another level of just making sure everything I do is something I actually want to do. Okay, so uh, one of the big things that has been entertaining a lot of people during the pandemic is the show Perry Mason on HBO. I have a lot of questions about that. And I guess the first one is when you were first pitched Perry Mason, what was the pitch and what was your reaction? <laughs> That's funny. First time I got, it was just an email. You know, it's just auditions. We're just hanging out. The audition comes through. It says Perry Mason. And I just immediately discarded it, to be honest. I was like, oh, that's just a bunch of white people. If it's the show I think it is, it's got nothing to do with it, literally. And then, I, and then I saw Paul Drake and I went, wait a second. Ain't that supposed to be like an old, tall white man? Let me check this out. And then I realized they're just, once I read it, I, 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 I got it a lot more inspired to work on it because they took Paul Drake, this classic character played by an older white male and completely invested in him being a young black man in the thirties. And when I say invested in, they really took their time and explored him and they continued to. And, and with obviously, as we all get around the table and start talking, it gets more and more deep and more and more delicious. But once I, I read the script, put myself on tape, and then eventually they called me to talk with Tim Van Patten. And I went over to his home in New York and it was lovely just sitting talking with him. And we never once had a moment of discomfort while talking about race. And that is everything to me. In fact, he was he was leading the conversation more so than anything, which which made me feel so comfortable in him taking care of this character, because I've been a part of a lot of things where, you know, I, 
I am I know the role my black character is serving in that white narrative. And this just mm. feels like a narrative where stories intertwine. And that's what made this a definite green for go. Let's take this gig. <laughs> well, I, I think especially coming on the heels of another really amazing show uh, from a show, The Watchmen, uh, with what they did with that, too. And sadly, it's taken a long time to get here, but entering an era where we're able to have that be out there more upfront, sometimes not even just have it be a real thing. And um, and have that empathy for characters like that versus kind of more the the character types that we exactly eh, you just of said the past. character not the types right and well that's it yeah all right it's 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 about seeing like it's, that is empathy that's what films are right and it's seeing those characters that, or a show in this case like that and just think about you know the number of like I grew up watching reruns of the show which means my mom grew up watching maybe the show which means she never saw herself. I never saw myself. But in this generation, this incarnation of the show, there will be people who go, oh, I existed in the 1930s, which means a lot to a kid. It really does. An adult even, to see ourselves represented in the narratives that we watch tells us that we're valid, tells me that I'm valid. And it helped me, Chris Chalk, the actor, to continue to be inspired to be of service to people who come up to me and go, man, that looked just like me in that show last Hmm. night. Like that's, that's one of the great glories of this gig. Do you think there'll be a time where there's a kid watching this show and there'll be Perry Mason is being played by an African-American? I, you know, I think I don't care that it be Perry Mason because that character wasn't written for an African-American, like, which means you'd have to revamp it and study it and turn it around and twist it. Just create a new one and invest in a property, Mm -hmm. have the courage to tell a black narrative without there having to be extraordinarily famous people who make people laugh and bring in box office dollars. If we can just trust talent, that would that would be it. That would be the answer. Well, I say that I love that answer, and uh, I feel like it's a common theme on this podcast, where we, especially with actors and and producers. Um, but go back to Perry Mason for a second. Who is Paul Drake? Paul Drake is a, a family man. More than anything, he's a young man who wants as much as he can have in this world without disturbing the peace of himself and his family. He's a black man in the 30s, which means he's heavily oppressed. But being a police officer and not a porter gives him more room and more space, more uh, a stature in the community. But once you step outside of that community, it's done. He's completely still just a black dude. And he is then tested when he meets Perry Mason and runs into this case with this, with well, as far as Paul's concerned, it's just a mouthpiece and a where's this blood splat coming from on these stairs but what it ends up being is a test of do you want to be the person you say you want to be or do you want to coast paul has been very happy to coast because he's been receiving act like he's been receiving a great life by coasting and now that he's challenging himself by dealing with perry by dealing with this case it puts pressure on his wife it puts pressure on his family it's it's really a, a young man dealing with is he a hero or not? And how do you approach playing someone, a character from the 1930s, um, that it sounds different from you, uh, the little I've read about you? Yeah, Paul's a, Paul's a lot different from me. Whenever I start any character, I find what they love, uh, which is a thing I had to do early on when I was doing plays that involved like genocides, and we were meeting the people who committed genocide, and that was tough. But through that process, I learned that everybody's doing it because they love something so, so much. And that creates a lot of compassion for any character. And what Paul loves more than anything is his family, is his wife and the potential for his family. And it's really put to the test because if Paul is 
honoring the love of his family, maybe he shouldn't take this case on, you know? Uh, I would think in theater or uh, in film, we'd also call that, you know, your objective and your obstacle. Exactly. Yeah, Perry is a huge obstacle to Paul's original objective. I find that by the end of the season, Paul's objective shifts dramatically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Why do you think Perry Mason is an intriguing character in 2020? I think Perry Mason is an intriguing character in 2020 because it allowed, I mean, just the show itself I'll speak to first. It Mm -hmm. allows us to reflect on ourselves and American society without it being so heavy and hard. Even though we're dealing with the exact same issues since the 1930s, for some reason it's easier to see them, you know, in a, in a, a slightly saturated HBO show. And it's allowing people to discuss issues that we're talking about today. I mean, we're, we're so very lucky to be happening parallel to COVID and racial uprisings, uh, which, you know, we had just passed a virus, a 1980 virus had just passed, and you've got racial uprising in 1932 Hmm. LA. And and so it's this amazing parallel. And that's what makes the show intriguing. What makes Perry intriguing is that for me, he is a flawed character, but he isn't flawed in the way that we've been like really, really into in the past couple of years, like this incredibly violent white man who hates everybody and destroys everything, but we're celebrating them with awards on awards on awards. It's like mm-hmm. patting ourselves on the back for being <laughs> like, I feel like Perry's not, Perry's <laughs> quest is not to become a deeper, <laughs> but to get out of being in the depths of being lost. It's like, he's moving away from, and Sopranos is an incredible show, but like, that's a murderer we're celebrating. Yep. Breaking Bad. Yep. He's a murderer. They're killers. They're selling drugs. And I don't care what got them there. It's just a choice, right? It's If we had that same empathy for black people, the jails would be empty. You know what I mean? If we could mm-hmm. see a person and go, he's just making a choice to, to save his family, then all crimes would be justified. But it feels like Perry, we're meeting him after he did his dirt. And now he's trying to fix himself so that he can be of service to other people. And it feels crazy now, but being a good person is the anomaly. The, the The show matters so much to me right now because it's about a, a good person and good people trying to do the best they can in their given circumstances, as opposed to bad people being redeemed. Absolutely. As I say, it's the redemption part, too. That's uh, usually why we were into those other shows, too. But um, I wonder, with everything going on in the summer, Black Lives Matter, the global protests against uh, police brutality, what does it mean to you to portray a cop, specifically one in the 1930s? Wow. Yeah. To portray a cop during this time is wild. It's it's I mean, I'm lucky in that it doesn't change my preparation because not very I mean, lots has changed and lots has not changed since the 1930s. And so there is so much pressure on Paul just to exist and just to speak. And he's a real quiet, real observant individual because at any second he's afraid he could be killed. Uh, I don't think that's changed that much in 2020. I mean, we mm. talk a lot more and I'm not a cop, but it was a lot. It's a it's a it's a nice thing to see on TV in 2020, a black man struggling with blue lives versus black lives, you know, and then what will he do with it? Will he protect the police or will he protect his family or will he just protect himself or will he disappear and jump off a building? And I think a lot of people are dealing with that right now. You know, a lot of I have a couple of police officer friends and they've taken police officer off of their social media profiles. They put first responder because there's a weird, sometimes justified attachment of not great things to being a police officer now. 
I mean, the the fortunate thing, if anything, is this is a fictional character. But I think through that lens, we we can't help but reflect on the things that are happening around us, especially when that gets magnified by being indoors a lot and 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 when having like TV or the internet sometimes as an outlet. Yeah, and it's and it's you, I I just want to mention it's he's, it's funny because he is a fictional character, but he's still in real real America, and that's what makes it so delicious and so so specific because. All we did is tell the truth of what was happening. And all that is reflecting in 2020 is that we haven't changed enough because we're still having the exact same conversation. And that conversation started way before 1930s. <laughs> this feels like such a, a, a weird way to follow that question up. But um, in the show, obviously, it starts. Matthew Reese and you and him have I just say you guys have a really wonderful chemistry on screen I'm wondering how did you guys work to find that or was it just there this is the first time you guys work together right yeah this is the first time Matthew and I worked together and look you mentioned his name and I started smiling that's how much I like Matthew Matthew, <laughs> Matthew I remember meeting him and thinking like oh I've watched some of the Americans he was pretty good but I don't really know him that well and I can't worry about him because I got to do my job and then everyone's la- and then I get to set this makeup and hair test. Everybody's smiling. Everybody's laughing. And that's normally what I like to do is like just put everybody at ease. I like to remind everybody we're just making TV. It's OK. And then I saw the source of the, the laughter and the joy. And it was Matthew. And I went, wait, we have a number one who is just being so considerate of everybody else's stress. This is going to be the best job ever. And that's what I <laughs> is that we both tend to do the same thing on our sets, <laughs> which is make it easy for everybody. And I think if you have somebody who wants to make everybody's job easier, it means one, you're going to have a prepared artist. And two, you're going to be able to come up with better ideas because nobody's coming to figure it out. Everybody's figured it out. Now we're coming to create and collaborate and make magic. And I find with Matthew, it's all we're always ready for magic. He's always prepared to do something fun, funny, to have, be silly. He's not, he's not mean at all. So we didn't have to work for the chemistry. We just are both kind people who like to have fun while we work. And so it just works. And then Perry Mason, the series, is just, it's just gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous. I'm curious, where did you guys film that? Is it filmed in locations or is it a combination of that and some CGI? How does that work? It's a combination of... Like the courtroom is the set. We we filmed at Paramount. Then there's a lot of locations. We are always in San Pedro, Santa Clarita. Like the locations team. In fact, I was just writing them uh, a message. It's amazing the places that they find. And then, yeah, they they have to CGI out the, you know, the, the 2020 of it all. But they found some locations where you walk in and go, wow, how did you find this? Has this always been here? And how much has set deck added so that I can know how much my mind should be blown. Like where Paul, <laughs> where Paul, Central Avenue, where Paul walks the beat. I remember going there the first day. First off, I'd never been to San Pedro. I got lost and went to the jail by mistake. And that was horrifying. And then I came back <laughs> I came one mile away from the peninsula of prison. It's a prison, not a jail actually. And, and I found my, my, my team and I walked down the street and it's this like, they had built these massive billboards. They put these amazing cars down, you know, these these uh, model model T's down. All of us were awestruck. Like it, they make our job so much. Locations, set, deck, props. They make our job so much easier because they do such great work at finding these ancient places in modern LA. 
And then, you know, like you said, throw a little CGI on there. They'll never. <laughs> throw just a little. Oh, the other thing, too, is the costumes. The costumes are amazing. Those hats. Like, I'm like, I just want to go back to the 30s and wear um, that. Like, those fedora hats are amazing. What does wearing those clothes and your, your police uniform, how does that influence the character? How does it influence your performance? I think it changes absolutely everything. Clothes now are made to, like, to, to, to endure. They're made to, for us to move however we want. But back then, you're investing, like Paul, 1930s black police officer, he doesn't have a lot of money. When he buys something, it has to last. And so that completely changes how you move inside of the clothes. Like, I'm not going to throw my arm up and rip my new jacket, you know, as Paul Drake. And so it really does limit, not, I mean, the weight of, so one, the casual clothing is, is delicate. It's all very fine material. So I do find that I move differently. It all weighs quite a bit. It's all very hot. But everybody back then, especially in the African-American community, when they dressed up, no matter what, no matter how poor they were, they dressed up. They looked beautiful. <laughs> uh, and in the police uniform, I don't know how they do it. I don't, we were filming on those rooftops, 92 degrees every time. It was every time. It was so hot. And then you've got this 15-pound weight of an outfit that adds about 30 degrees. <laughs> and but, but we had a great team of uh, Jenny and Ali and Jeedy. They would uh, always let me know when we were turning around and go, all right, let's disrobe. And we, turn, we, we eventually got down to like a 30-second in, one minute out. <laughs> Quick dress, quick change. I say, is that is the uniform? Is it like wool? Because it looks. It wool. is wool. It is as wool. It is. It is the original wool. <laughs> it, if you want a material that breathes, we don't have it on the show. It's Nothing the opposite is. side of wool. <laughs> every every uh, tank top that I wore, I think they must have had ten or twelve for me because I soaked through them between takes. That's how heavy and hot the uh, the clothing were. I mean, in one sense, it sounds horrible. But in the other sense, it's like, I kind of I kind of want to do that. I kind of oh, want to. you want to do it. You want right? to do it. Yeah. Like, this is not a complaint. This is an observation. I mm -hmm. loved every second of it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, as, I'm getting that from you, by the way. <laughs> as miserable and as hot as it was, what a pleasure. What an absolute pleasure. <laughs> Okay, so Chris, the name of our podcast is called I'm So Obsessed. And Chris, I'm wondering, what are you so obsessed with? Now, I want you to know I've been thinking about this. <laughs> um, what am I obsessed with right now? Man, I'm obsessed with, uh, I am obsessed with meditation. I always do it, but I'm currently going through a new phase of obsession where I'm really getting into like, what is transcendental meditation? What is my <laughs> meditation? And another one than that, I'm just, I'm obsessed with love. Isn't that silly to say? Ugh. But I really am. I think if we can find love, that'll fix everything. No, that's not silly to say. That is not silly to say at all, especially just thinking of some of the things we just talked about. There's a solution there. And part of that is love, right? Part of it is um, like love and compassion, right? If we mm -hmm. just five seconds go, hey, Patrick and I are the same because we both just want to be happy. That's all that matters. <laughs> mm -hmm. like, and we want, we want to wear cool costumes. I'll and we put want to wear cool costumes and talk about cool <laughs> that's all me. That's all we want. Speaking of love, let's talk about your film, Farewell. See, I just finished watching it. So you not only starred in this film, but you also wrote and directed it. So yeah. let's just start with basics. What is it about? Farewell is about a young lady's journey. Well, it's about a couple, but really it's about a girl's journey to decide if she is going to ever choose herself or choose her friends. And then she's faced with the 
time constraint of murder. <laughs> <laughs> that is the that is i think one of the best elevator pitches i've heard uh and is this your first feature film as a filmmaker this is the first feature film i've directed as a filmmaker yeah and it was uh awesome i mean as hard as it was it was still like every day was like going to paying for film school because we we did our own budget we paid for it ourselves which i'll never do again but i'm glad <laughs> i did because nobody could tell me what to do and that now I know I really like making movies that way. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I'd say, um, let's get this other filmmaking that I want to get back to this, the story on the screen too. Do you remember the first thing you shot on this film? Do you remember the first setup? Yeah. Give me one second. I think it was the car. It was awful. Oh, I think it was the car stuff. The, the stuff at the beginning, like the, uh, kind of like early in the film. You guys yeah, I want to say yeah. we started, I think that was day one and that should have been like, again, Talk about learning. That should have been like day five or six once we had a groove because having a rig and a car and sound, it was awful. It was not a good it was not a good morale booster to start <laughs> with our like second hardest shots. And then as I say, you, and then the uh the actress playing Grace, who on screen is your wife, is actually your wife in real life. Is that right? Yeah, Katie Chalk, she's my wife in real life. And the reason one of the reasons the movie came to be is because like New York was not giving her the jobs she deserved and I had the money and we had the time. And so she, she finally said, Hey man, are you going to make this movie? And what's it going to be about? And I said, you know what? You should be the lead of my movie. And then I'll write the movie. Let's get this, you know? And that was the, obviously, you know, I put my, my wife is my favorite person in the world besides myself. So I definitely want to see her succeed. And we thought, you know, we're creators, we can do whatever we want to do. And we did. It was funny is even though that was the goal, it is, I would, by all counts, it's an ensemble film and it's quite the ensemble, but where did the actual idea for the story come from? I am, the story for Farewell came from me being obsessed with thrillers and horror movies. And I'm on this quest to like, kind of go back old school, take away the gore from horror, you know, be more clever. And so it came from me just trying to, I'm practicing being a better storyteller and what do you show? What do you withhold? And, and, and then I'm, I have awful thoughts. Me and my wife, we play these like improv games all the time of what would you do if a house turned into lava or the house froze? Which one, which one would you choose? Or I said, what if I'm at the house with a bunch of our friends, our people, and we're smart, we're, we, we we make smart choices. But then somebody started dying, we suddenly get stupid. Let's make the movie. I mean, that's literally what it was. It's like we always talk about the people who, you know, go check in the closet or look under the bed. But what would we really do? What <laughs> happens when smart people are being murdered? And I think this is fair to say that the characters, Grace and Chance, are not you guys. But <laughs> what would those characters do, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay, okay. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was saying, yeah. Uh, That's a great. I think I want to uh, thank you. We are not murderers. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it is. It is. What would uh? What would those? Well, and you do. It's like I was inspired by my friends, but I only took some of their personality traits and and threw them on top of these, you know, bold points of view. And it is what what would these versions of ourselves and our friends do in this situation? You're totally right. That was a great. Yeah, uh, and I think right. it's also like those friends have so many qualities that I think a lot of us can relate to, or have friends like that, or you know, like some of the characters. Okay, so going back a couple of things here. So part one of the big themes in the film is the idea of surrounding yourself, kind of who you surround yourself with dictates kind of who you are or, or what you're, you're going to be. And I'm wondering how does that apply to you, Chris Chalk, in real life? Wow, wow, you hit me on the good day too. 
I'm in a I'm in a um a cleanse right now, and I found that it was pre-COVID, but it, it started that I, I I very much believe that who you are, like you're surrounded by the people you that influence you the most. I don't have that many people now because we had a, a cleaning out of bad energy. I, I I was talking to my therapist about this. I was like, man, it's weird to have all these empty seats at the table. And I'm excited for them to get filled, but I know I can't rush because I get a little clingy. Like I'm telling you all my business, <laughs> but, but it, but it, it, it really was me reflecting and going, wait, if I am who I surround myself with, I've got to really address who I'm surrounding myself with. And of late having us, we having just moved from New York back to LA to start Perry Mason, we have a whole new group of humans and they are slowly, we, we have a slow, slowly forming circle. My wife's circle fills up faster than mine because she's more social than me. But yeah, it's, it's, it, I don't know how to respond to that other than I do apply that to my life. And right now the tables are not full. <laughs> I'm mentioning another theme in your life with that slowing down and all that as well. Um, yeah. Hey, so let's say that you could go back in time. You can only do this one thing. You can only go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice before you started making farewell. What would it be? Oh my gosh, it was the stupidest thing I've ever done was not hire a scripty. We were trying to hire an editor who was also a scripty and then we got confused and things got mixed up and signals got missed. And so the person fell through. And so I was like, oh, don't worry about it. And then I forgot that that meant I needed to then hire a scripty since I just hired a post editor. And, and, and for those who are listening who might not know what scripty is, what does a scripty actually do? Scripty is the person that makes your movie work. Scripty is the script. <laughs> and they pay attention to continuity. They pay attention to if she was looking slightly left or slightly right. They pay attention to crossing the line. They pay attention to how full the glass. I mean, they literally are the like the person that I could tell this is what I want to see consistently. And then they make sure it happens. It's like taking a whole part of my brain and giving it to a human being. So it, the rest of my brain can be free to work and having to put that pressure on myself, my other producers, we definitely made lots of mistakes because of that one mistake. I gotcha. And then, um, so this film, uh, farewell, has it, uh, because of all the pandemic stuff, I'm not sure where things are at. Has it been screened in front of an audience yet? It is premiering at ABFF and it's also showing at the Bentonville ABFF was that the American Black Film Festival and then the Bittenville Film Festival? And I think these are both in the next coming weeks. Uh, what are like your expectations or hopes that an audience will react when they see this film? I I don't care what they take away and I don't care what their experiences are. I, <laughs> I just really like watching it. I love watching people watch our movie. Like this is not my opus. This is not my, you know, the greatest movie I will ever make. So it's still at a I, I there's no pressure on I'm not trying to sh shame anybody. I'm not trying to shift points of view. I'm literally just like, hey, here's here's an inclusive, fun story that's a little bit wild that should make <laughs> a little bit scared of me. Uh, let's just watch it and see what you think. And and it's, I mean, I guess that's the, it's a privilege, I guess, because it doesn't feel so precious. Because I do have a, a a film called Curtis. I really care what people think about that. That one's still, you know. We're still looking for money for that movie, but that one I'm gonna. I know I'm gonna be heavily influenced. I know I'm gonna be hella sensitive about it. I won't be able to read reviews. Farewell, I think is is fun, and should be regarded as such. But I think part of it was you knew something was gonna go on. Yeah, you didn't know what, and then when what happens, then you're like, oh, and then it's like why, and then when you learn why, you're like, oh, <laughs> so 
the reveals are very good. And I, you talked earlier about kind of the way you framed for some of the gore, or, or I would say lack of gore. I, I really like that because it kind of puts you back. It gives you that you have that rhythm you are so we're so used to with seeing with films and when they cut right. And it's almost like we hold for that extra beat, and you're like, oh. And then you go back and look in that character's eyes, or the first time something happens to your character, we're just we're we're holding on that. And yeah, we hold. Yeah. and that was weirdly that sh- that was a mistake. The shot that I planned for, I couldn't afford. Uh, they were like, dude, you didn't buy that rig. What are you talking about? And I went, oh. Sh-. All right, let's put a pin in this, and I'll come up with something by tomorrow. But I loved what what we came up with, or what I came up with, is so much better. I love just holding on things because I'm so inspired by non-American storytelling and you know we're big into cutting and shifting perspective and bounce 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 it's particularly in television but sometimes in film especially in horror films and i really love how they hold and just make you watch make you just watch this thing watch it watch it did you form an opinion watch it a little bit more and now you <laughs> i mean in that sense it almost felt like the rhythm of a play sometimes because you you, you can't cut and play but you can move your body a certain way to help an, uh, an audience focus and i kind of felt like they had that sensibility about it too oh i love that i hadn't thought about that i'm gonna think about that i don't want to <laughs> we'll leave that there um so one of the most powerful series that i saw last year was when they see us and it was a uh, about the central park five what did it mean to you working on that series i quite oh gosh what a pleasure i remember meeting with ava and for a certain part and then i was filming a tv show i was on at the time so that part didn't work out because it was it was a little larger and just being just i remember sitting just hoping it worked out because I knew the story of the, well, we now, we now call them the exonerated five since the exonerated. Five. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because that was the name the devils gave them, meaning the people who demonized them and tried to turn them into the worst children ever <laughs> children. <laughs> remind everybody they were children. Um, but being able to be a part, I've done some work with equal justice initiative, the Osborne association to, to uh, powerhouses in helping, people in prison cope and or get out of prison. And so to finally be a part of a, a, a narrative piece that honored that part of my uh, spirit was awesome. And then to see the team that was created and then to go into a hair and makeup trailer and see only people of color. Like there were so many mm-hmm. moments during this process that melted my brain and showed me so much hope. And I'm not I'm not without hope, so I don't want to I don't want it to seem like I'm 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 down in the dumps. It was it was just another I was walked in happy and left ecstatic because she creates this incredible environment of humans. Whereas when I go to work on most sets, it's an incredible environment of mostly white dudes, and she just has everyone there. And I I think that if you can create comfort by showing that everyone that they're represented, it makes the project so much better. And that was I think that project is beautiful. I mean, Bradford Young, come on. What are you doing? What are you doing? He is incredible. But uh, I think part of what stuck with me is is the compassion. We were talking about that earlier. Um, And just the way um, Ava DuVernay is able to just like, to squeeze your heart so hard and so intense. You've worked with obviously her. You've worked with Aaron Sorkin. You've worked with Steve McQueen, mm-hmm. Catherine Bigelow. All of them are prolific at what they create, and all of them are very different. Is there something they have in common when it comes to creating film or TV? I think every single one of those people, what they have in common is that they want a full character. They want a full. They're collaborators. 
they really want the actor to shine. And that's what I'm, I mean, I think that's why those people have hired me and other people maybe have not. I'm not very good at being a prop. I'm not very mm -hmm. good at like performing an idea of a person. And there are people who are incredible at that. And my hats go off to them because I'm not very good at that. I'm always going too deep. I'm a little moody. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that there is an appreciation for a, a quality of work and an intensity of work that every single one of those people possess. And each of them is an artist. Like they're just so creative. I, I, man, I'm so inspired by this question that I'm trying not to ramble because I'm trying to be specific without talking too much. But Steve is, I mean, Steve, Catherine, they're just so specific about what they want in very different ways. Steve coming from an artistic background, like painting background, and now filmmaker. Catherine wanting to tell these inclusive, expansive stories and I just remember one day she was she just let me improv a whole scene, which I was like, oh, once I saw the movie, that must be how she did the whole thing. And then I talked to Mackie and he was like, no, 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 no. She very much was like word for word. These are what these people said. You have to honor it. And so somebody who can now I'm just honoring Catherine Bigelow, but somebody who, <laughs> who can switch their directing styles, but it doesn't reflect in the movie. Man, that blows my mind. OK, yeah, now I'm just I'm just melting right now I'm, I'm oozing joy because there's these amazing artists out here and i'm you're right i've gotten to work with dope people who like dope work that's the simplest way that's probably what will make the edit they are dope people who like dope work and even go to thomas kale who directed mm -hmm. me in uh lincoln center's uh da, 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 what is it called when i come to die now he's doing film and tv but that was just theater and he has the same quality he trusts his actors and he allows them to find it and he just nudges them and that's kind of what Ava does. She nudges you. Catherine, she allow, Catherine just lets you fly. She, she trusts you completely. She just lets you fly completely. And Steve McQueen does not control your performance. So there are these people who are excited about seeing things unfold, but maybe they don't have a concrete idea. They're not looking for you to repeat what's in their brain. They, they're, they're excited to see what you create. Yeah, I mean, and I, the word collaboration keeps like hanging over what you're describing to me. And it just sounds like, the most amazing level of collaboration going on there. Yeah, I mean, and, and with every one of them, I really do feel like, if you know what it is? It's, it's like walking on a set and being seen and heard. And I'm a black man, so that is not always the case. I'm not, a complain, I'm not complaining, that's just the fact. Like, I have definitely just represented an idea before. But with these people, you know, these perceived juggernauts, these people with all this practice that we laud and we love, they really are the opposite of bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> compassionate, considerate, honest, and loving. All of them. That's weird. Now, I never put them all in the same thing. That's why I'm rambling a little bit, because they are all so lovely. So I want to wrap up this. I have a new thing called Pick One. And what it allows us to do is hit a lot of other interesting parts of your life and career. Uh, but basically, I give you a few choices and you pick one. It doesn't necessarily mean the one that you pick is better than the other. In fact, some of them you're going to yell at me about. But uh, it, I encourage you to talk it out as well. So first, theater, film, or TV? Uh, right now, I'm going to go with TV because I feel like the story, I feel like film, there's too much pressure, too much money, and no one's really letting you do what you want to do because there's all these producers. Unless you're doing an independent film, and then that's a whole, I think that's a slightly different category. Uh, TV, I feel like they're getting the quality of film, but in an eight-hour movie. And that is exciting because it's allowing me to, allowing us all to dig deeper into character and, and story. 
Okay, next one. Asheville, L.A., or New York? I'm going to go with Los Angeles because I think it is a good combination of Asheville and New York. It's got the ease and the, and the, and the separation of humans that Asheville has. And it's still a city like New York. I can't, New York is definitely not on the list. I love New York, but I'm done with New York. I think it's too stressful. And Asheville's too racist. Mm-hmm. All right. So this next one, um, you, you're, you're going to yell at me. But Denzel Washington or Viola Davis? I like this. I know the answer. I already knew the answer. Uh, but it is a great question. And I'm going to say Vi. I'm going to say Viola. Gosh, I'm going to say Viola because I'm going to tell you, one of my first days at work, Maybe it was like, nah, maybe the first weeks. Maybe it was the second week. She had won some award as she is as she does in her sleep because she's incredible. And she came in that next day with like acting, how-to acting books. Like, because she's always attempting to refine her craft and get better. And for me, exactly. That's exactly how I felt. Whereas Dean, <laughs> Denzel is very like, I, I love Denzel. My wife and I ran into him a couple weeks ago. I love him, I love him, I love him. And he's... First off, he's he's at an incredibly high level, and I'm not sure that I never saw him walking around with an acting book, a how-to acting book. That, that, that doesn't speak to anything. But I love that she is constantly looking to get better at this thing in as many ways as possible because it inspires me to do that because that's what I'm trying to do. And for those who are like listening, like what are they talking about? You did the play Fences with them, those two on Broadway. Yeah, I did Fences on Broadway with those two and they, and, and an incredible cast, Stephen McKinley Henderson, Michael T. Williams, and Russell Hornsby, like just incredible cast of leaders. Cause I was definitely, minus the two y- young ladies, I was the youngest person and had to do everything they told me to. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in your film, Farewell, yes. there is not a lot of gore, but there is some blood. Yeah. And I'm wondering if you had to choose caro syrup fake blood or chocolate sauce fake blood. I'm going to go with chocolate soft fake blood. <laughs> I don't know why. I just think actors enjoy that better. Carol syrup is disgusting. It's horrible. It's it. it I think it has a, a better thickness, uh, depending on where you cut inside of a person and how deep the wound is. That's a horrible thing to know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and you, you swear you're not a murderer. That's <laughs> I am not a murderer. I promise. Uh, but yeah, I find that uh, I, I think that that chocolate syrup blood is good because then no one's going to complain either. No, I always heard. I always heard that the reason you did carousel was like the lights look better on it, and that oh, the chocolate was point. For, like you had it around your face and it got in your mouth. But then you're like, if you're putting chocolate in it, isn't this going to get in my mouth because it's chocolate? Oh, oh. <laughs> man, you just made a really good point. That see, that shows how much learning I still got left to do. Yeah. Oh, okay, so here's the actual. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I was going to say it does light better. Carousel. <laughs> it does light better. You are the filmmaker. Come on. So here's the actual last one. So I grew up in New Orleans and South Carolina. Yeah. I grew up in, uh, I was born in Columbia, grew up in Greenville, yeah. and that's not too far south than Asheville. Now, North Carolina has vinegar-based barbecue sauce. South Carolina has mustard-based barbecue sauce. Which one do you pick? Ooh, whoa, you're an evil person. I am. I like how this is harder than the Denzel Viola dance. Oh, 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 gosh, I got to whisper because my wife is in the other room. Um, I prefer mustard-based. That is the right answer. There's no right answer, but that is the right answer. I just think it's so good. I mean, and there's nothing wrong with vinegar base, and that's so no. raw stomach, whatever. Congrats. But the mustard for me is everything. I want to thank Chris for chatting with me, and I want to thank you for listening. You can watch series one of Perry Mason on HBO. And if you enjoyed this interview, take a moment and subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. 
And if you really like this episode, please rate it. Until next time, take care.